Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of John and chapter 12. And then after you've found that, turn over to chapter 20. Keep your finger there in 12. We just need to go to the end. Um, I'm a great advocate of a paper Bible. Um, if you're using um, one of those devices, oh, look, mine is in my pocket. I was going to leave it. But um, these things are just too distracting. And then you can't see the global picture. In, in my Bible, I have, I have lines drawn from this side to this side, and then I can flip back. You just can't do that um, with a phone. So there's paper Bibles there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, it's good to be back. I was um, in Africa for uh, three weeks teaching pastors with uh, the organization I work for, Training Leaders International. Uh, my name is Bob Burris, and we attend here. My wife and I attend here at Christ Community. It's a wonderful place to be, and I love listening um, to Rick and others preach here. So, um, you know, one thing, I'm looking at, I'm actually looking at my notes, which doesn't happen often, but um, in Africa, guys bring their phones to class, and I tell them to turn them off, and if for some reason they're checking their phone or texting or whatever, we have a thing called phone jail. And um, I take their phone and I put it up, and it's in phone jail. And um, then eventually someone else uh, breaks the rule. And so the first guy who broke the rule, his phone is now in jail, and I deputize him. He becomes my deputy to take the other phones and put them in phone jail. So it's just a warning. Um, <laughs> you know, stuff happens. All right. Boy, I wish they had parenting seminars when uh, we just didn't have them. We had Jim Dobson, um, some books on how to raise kids, and uh, they were good, but now you've just got all kinds of things, and you have a wonderful seminar to go to, and um, my wife and I get to come and learn some more from other folks, and our seminar is entitled, Does Anybody Have Any Ideas? Okay, so it's, you kind of feel that way sometimes, don't you? But... Um, the Bible does give us some guidance. So we're in John 20, and we'll be looking at verse 31. Let's pray before we read. Our Father, we hear voices all week long, uh, voices that don't agree and are even against what your word says. So I ask that you would send your spirit to us. May we be in shock and in awe of our Savior, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, whom we believe in and whom we love and so open our eyes, send your spirit to us as you have promised to show us these things. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. John tells us what his book is about in chapter 20 in verse 31. But these are written, this book I've written, so that you may believe that Jesus, Savior Jesus, is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one from David, the Son of God, God himself, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so a great topic that John talks about is believing. What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? And I suggest to you that John believes that believing comes when your eyes are opened to see the awesome holiness glorious, 
Jesus Christ for who he is. And so pray this morning that you would see the glory of Jesus because without sight of his glory, you cannot be saved. You must see the glory. And we're going to see this unfold in John chapter 12. In John chapter 11, friends of Mary and Martha come to Jesus and they say, the one whom you love is sick. And Jesus says, you're going to see the glory of God. And then Jesus waits two days and Lazarus dies. And then the text says in verse 5 that Jesus loved him. He loved him and he let him die. And then Jesus comes and says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall never die. And then he goes and just before he rises, he raises Lazarus from the dead. Um, he says, didn't I tell you that you would see the glory of God? And he didn't really use that language. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. There must be a connection between that and the glory of God. And so 12 is going to help us uncover and understand this. So Lazarus has been raised. Some follow Jesus. They see the sign. They think he's great and wonderful. Jesus. Others, let's kill him. And while we're at it, let's kill Lazarus too. They've been thinking. They might have thought killing Lazarus. That might not actually work. <laughs> Chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, six days before Jesus is going to be killed, and he knows it, he's come to Jerusalem for that purpose. Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. This is the Martha that is in the kitchen a lot. And Mary, who sits at Jesus' feet, Luke chapter 10, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. She was one of the few who saw the glory of Jesus, whose emotional response was, was closer to who she saw than others. She was overwhelmed by the glory of Jesus. And when we think of glory, think of beauty and think of matter, something that matters, something of great significance. You know, some people are in love with Ford and Ram pickups and Dodges and Chevys, and the bigger the engine, the better. You know, it's like Tim the Tool Man Taylor, you know, you got to... And I read about these things. I, I owned a pickup once years ago. It was a rusted out Ford, and I hauled wood with it, and then I sold it. But I, I, I've owned a pickup, okay? I've been in the pickup crowd <laughs> for about three months. Anyway, they, they just love the awesomeness of a diesel and can haul 22,000 pounds behind it. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you guys are like, yeah, yeah, I got one of those. And, and then there's other folks who... When they see a vehicle, the, the primary thing is, is it pretty? Am I right or am I right? Is, is it beautiful? Is it a, is it a nice-looking vehicle? That, that is the highest value. Well, Jesus, by the way, is both. He's beautiful, 
The New Testament used the words doxa, but beauty is also used of God in the Old Testament. But he's also heavy. He's significant. Kavod is the Hebrew word. It just means heavy. He's both at the same time. He's this beautiful, sleek vehicle, and he's this $80,000, $90,000 diesel truck with dualies. He's both combined together. And Mary saw that. Mary saw that, and her emotional response is, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to anoint him with the most expensive thing I can afford. Verse 4, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he was about to betray him, said, I didn't see any glory here. I didn't see any beauty. I've been with him three years. What's the deal? It's about money. He said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had charge of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put in it. Money will, money will blind you to the glory of God. And it's significant for us because we live in one of the wealthiest, nicest, beautiful places on the planet. We live in Disneyland. It's, it's wonderful here. Enjoy it. God's given that to us, but it'll blind you to the glory of God. Uh, Jesus said more about money than anybody else, and he said more about money than any other topic. And if you, if you read the Gospels, I mean, Jesus is talking about some heavy stuff in Luke chapter 12 about the impardonable sin and what you said in secret and all this stuff. And after he finishes... This guy raises his hand. He's listening to Jesus. He says, Master, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He didn't hear a word Jesus had to say. Money, 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 money. That was Judas. When Jesus said, verse 7, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me, and I am the most significant, the most important, the most beautiful and glorious person in the universe. So we have Mary and we have Judas, believing, not believing at all. In fact, he's going to betray Jesus. Saw the same stuff. When the large crowd of the Jews, verse 9, learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in him. Now, we have to be careful with the word believing in the Gospel of John. There's a part of us that says, well, they believed in Jesus. They believed. They were saved. They trusted him. Turn, turn back to John chapter 2. Jesus uh, turns water into wine. John 2.11, it says, The first of these signs Jesus did at Canaan and Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So remember this. Seeing the glory and believing are entwined. You cannot separate them. And so after all this happens, Jesus rises from the dead. John writes this gospel, and he says, Jesus was showing us how glorious he was, and, and we believed in him. And then he cleanses the temple, and after he cleanses the temple, the Jews say, what sign do you show us? And, but then in verse 23, when he was in Jerusalem, this is 223, 
At the Passover feast, many believed in his name. There we have believing. When they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about him, for he himself knew what was in man, and there was a man of the Pharisees. Forget chapter 3. It should have just, we should just keep reading. And we hear about Nicodemus. And Nicodemus doesn't believe. But the problem here is they believe in Jesus, but Jesus doesn't entrust himself to them. That means they have a kind of belief that's not the right kind of belief. Whatever their believing was, it wasn't good enough. It wasn't the right brand of believing. That's what chapter 12 is going to help us with. So let's go back to 12 and we'll keep reading. The, the, the Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, is buried inside of, of, of this teaching. What is believing? What does it mean to believe? The next day, the large crowd, verse 12, came to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, for the Old Testament. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So there we have it. Jesus, yeah! This is the Jesus cheerleading squad. Let's keep reading. His disciples didn't understand these things at first. They didn't get it. What in the, what in the world is going on? But this is, this is John writing afterwards, remember. When Jesus was glorified, when he had died and risen, was seated at the right hand of God, king of the universe, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. I firmly believe that this period of time between Pentecost and between Jesus going to heaven and Pentecost is Jesus teaching his disciples about himself in all the scriptures. And then the disciples' eyes get open because they've seen the glory of Christ and they read the Old Testament in a new kind of way because they've seen the glory. They've seen the glory. Which which begs us to ask the question, have you seen the glory? When, when you open the Bible, are you in shock and are you in awe of the glory of Jesus Christ? Because that's what the Bible's about. God, for his glory, God is reconciling the world to himself through King Jesus. And he has revealed his work and his plan from Genesis to Revelation. And it is the plan of the universe. This is reality. This is what's going on. Everything else is subservient to this plan that God is going to glorify himself by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and reconcile all things to him. That's what's going on. That's what's going on in our world. Let's keep reading. 17. By the way, my, my, I, I have five things for you at the end of the sermon. They're, they're not alliterated. They don't start with Ds or Fs or whatever. I, I hope they're complete sentences, but there'll be five things at the end. What, what I tell my students in Africa is, don't try to be too cute when you preach, guys. Just open the text, read it, explain it, tell them what it means, and then make some application. It's not that hard. In fact, one of the, way, one of the reasons I'm doing what I'm doing now is, is I want you to be able to do this during the week. This is, you, you guys could have figured this out yourself. Well, most of you. 
No, you could do it all yourself. If you have the Spirit of God and you know how to read sentences and paragraphs and, and, and you grab a paper Bible so you can see the global stuff going, you, you can get this. So we're just going to keep reading. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had, oh rats, he had done this sign. What do you think about their believing? What do you think they have their cries of Hosanna? I, I don't think it's the right kind of belief. They saw the signs. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. They're, they're all concerned about their position, and Jesus was threatening them. And the crowd wanted him to be king. They wanted him to show up and give them food and conquer the Romans. And Yes, politics. That's the end of the Christian faith, politics. We're going to get our guy in there. They're just like, he's our guy. Let's get him. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I came for another reason. I'm, I'm a different kind of king. Verse 20. Now those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. These are proselytes. They're, they're not, they're not, they weren't born Jews, but they're from other places, and they're come to celebrate the feast. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's time. It's time for me to die. And that's, glo that's glory. Jesus' death is glory. It's pure, unadulterated glory. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat, verse 24, falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's talking about himself. And now he switches and he talks about us. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So what he, what he said in Mark chapter um, 8, he said, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3, 4. You have died. Paul says, whatever things were gained for me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I have a new purpose. I have a new goal. I have a new organizing principle for my life. And it is for the glory of God. And look how he ends. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The Father will honor him. So Jesus dies to glorify his Father. And then we die, and the Father honors us. And we're going to find out later, he actually glorifies us. There's a coming glory for us when we die to ourselves. When our purpose in life is not cars or homes or cute clothes or wanting people to see us on Facebook and hit a like, the more likes we get, the better we feel about ourselves. Really? Really? I mean, we take selfies, and most of the selfies, frankly, um, I look kind of bad. I don't really care. I don't really care. Let's read verse 26 again. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. 
2 Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, that's you, you're dead. I'm looking at dead people, okay? If you're a Christian, you're dead. That they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who gave himself for you, who died and rose again on your behalf. You die. When you become a Christian, what happens is the Spirit of God opens your eyes and you see the glory of Christ. You see the cross. You see it. And you love it. And you love it more than anything else. And your desire is to glorify God and to follow Christ in all that you do. That's what it means to be a Christian. You love him. You love him more than everything. When, when I was in college, I used to sit um, in class and think about soccer because I was a soccer player. I was on the soccer team, so I'd think about what am I going to do? I'm going to get the ball, I'm going to pass it, and you know, I'm going to do this stuff, and then I'm going to score goals, and everyone's going to say, oh, Bob, you're such a great guy. That never happened. <laughs> but what you think about is, is, is what controls you. And many times we're, we're thinking about how we look and how we achieve and, and so we, we seek for money and, and a nice house. We're worried somebody's going to come over and see a house that's not just, you know, better homes and gardens or whatever the magazines are. Sunset. No, we live for the glory of God. Verse 27. Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. The same kind of trouble he was feeling when he saw the Lazarus and who was coming and this is, a, this, is a, this is more than just crying. Jesus did weep, but it was a weeping from a troubledness because he knew in a few short hours that the sin of the world would be upon him and the Father who had loved him for eternity in a perfect kind of love was going to pour out his wrath upon him. And he would feel things that he'd never felt before. He would, he would feel the pain and the suffering of of every lost child that we have, every lost spouse, every disappointment, every boss, every employee who has betrayed us. He felt all that on the cross, and his soul is troubled. And, and, and he's speaking to his father, and he says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That, the little number 28 should not be there. It should be after name. It would be better just to get rid of all those little numbers. But Father, glorify thy name is part of verse 27. Am, am I going to say, Father, save me from dying? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. This is why I have come, to glorify your name. That's the organizing principle of my life, to bring you glory. That's the organizing principle of the universe. That's what this world is about. God is working everything to bring himself glory. Wars, sickness, wealth, happiness, families for his glory. Everything is to show the beauty and the greatness and how much God matters because that's why he created it. And some people say, well, man, he sounds pretty selfish to me. It's not selfish at all. He created you for that, and you will not be happy until you live for that. It's not going to happen. That car, that house, those clothes, 
that credit card, that vacation, that, that none of those are going to make you happy and you know it in your heart that that is not what makes you happy. It, it doesn't work. He has made us for his glory and we are restless until we find our rest in him. When we deny ourselves and you were created, you were saved to glorify him. Because look, look at the text again. For this purpose I have come to this hour, Father, glorify your name. This is the purpose he saved you for, to glorify his name. Then a voice came from heaven, and the Father said, I have glorified it, I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. The world's going to be judged by my death. Everything's going to center around do you believe in him? Do you see the gloriousness of the death of Christ? Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law of the Old Testament that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? They'd read the Bible, but they didn't understand it. They didn't get Isaiah 53 because they had this lens on. They had, they had a cultural lens on. When I'm in Africa, I, I tell those guys, you have to forget everything you know about what you think the Bible says because most of it is wrong. And, and we're attracted to the verses that we like. But some of these verses, I mean, when I first read John chapter 2, the end of it, Jesus wasn't entrusting himself to them. I thought, wait a second, they're believing, wasn't it? And then other verses, you know, you know, a lot of times those verses are the key to the text. You figure that out, and you figure it out in the context of the whole book, and your eyes are opened and you see. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Well, haven't you read Daniel? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you. That's where the Son of Man is introduced in Daniel 7. Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. I am here. Walk. The one who lives his life in the darkness doesn't know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Believe in me rightly. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before him, they still did not believe in him. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we think, if, if Jesus would just come and do a trick, just do this trick, or we say, if he would just answer this prayer, he, he, he's, he's not beholden to to prove himself to us. He's the most obvious thing in the universe. The heavens are declaring the glory of God every day, every night. Speaks, speaks, speaks. Let's keep reading. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. These are hard verses. But in the context of Isaiah 6, we're going to see that Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 6 are in John's mind as he writes John chapter 12. 
In fact, let's read the next verse. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah saw his glory? Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Glory, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I think God's, whole, God's holiness is seen in his gloriousness. Glory is a manifestation of his holiness. These are hard. This is a judicial hardening. The children of Israel for hundreds of years had forsaken him. They'd serve other gods. They brought other gods into the temple to worship. They sacrificed their children to other gods. And God says, you know, I'm done. This, this, this kind of, there's a little bit of a scariness about these verses in that, you know, you've, you come to church over and over and over again, and some of you have been Christians for decades and decades and decades, and you hear it, and you're not, you're, you haven't seen the glory yet. You haven't been gripped by it. You haven't been just like amazed. You haven't been shocked and in awe of who Jesus is. He's, he's like, well, yeah, I prayed the prayer, and we got Jesus here, and I got my life, and, you know, it's, it's, it's good to have him, you know? He's a good guy to have around. It's like riding a tandem bicycle. Um, I, I used to race tandem bicycles, so I would always be in the front because I was bigger, and the guy would be in the back. Well, the way it works is the guy in the back, he can only really do one thing. He can't, he's not supposed to lean. He doesn't make decisions. He just keeps his mouth shut, and he pedals. That's all he does. He pedals. And when the guy in front, me, I'm steering, I'm braking, I'm choosing what gear we're going, I'm making all the decisions, and I am balancing the bike. And if you, has anyone been on the back of a tandem? Anybody? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's scary, isn't it? Because you're on the back, and the guy in the front doesn't know how to balance. And so you're trying to help him balance, and then the whole thing goes whack. It's, it's just, it doesn't work. The person in the back has to stay neutral. You just sit there, and all you do is, all you do is pedal. That's it. It's kind of like, yeah, that's the Jesus I want. He, we call it a stoker, the guy in the back, because that's the Jesus I want. You know, he just, he, I get to make all my decisions. I, you know, I pray the prayer, and I'm a, I'm a Christian, and I, and, and I go to church, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm spiritual, I'm relig- and of course I believe in Jesus, and, and he's, always, he's always there if I need him. He's always there if I need him. Let's keep reading. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. Now, at this point, you've got to be thinking, is this good belief or bad belief? You better be thinking that. Is this real belief? Have they really seen the glory of Christ? Do they really know? Or are they just kind of believing the signs and he says some cool stuff? Many, even the authorities, believed in him, for, but for fear of the Pharisees, the religious rulers who were in charge of the synagogues and the temple, they did not confess it. They, they weren't going to tell anybody so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. We're not going to tell anybody. We're going to have a private faith. You know, my faith is my own. It's very strong. I just don't talk about it much. For they loved the glory that comes from man, more than the glory that comes from God. Oh, isn't that the most disappointing thing? They, they didn't love, 
They didn't see Christ for who he was. And what was really important to them was clicks, likes. What was really important to them was, wow, dude, what a car. Ooh, you're cool. Or you won that, or you have that degree, or look at that house. Wow, wow. And so, you know, we're, we're, just, we're just me monsters, aren't we? Me, 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 glory, glorify me. Me, tell me I'm great. I was a pastor for a long time, and I won't, I won't even begin to tell you how many times when I finished a morning sermon and I was talking to people, my prayer was, Jesus, please, please send somebody here to tell me what a great expositor I am. Please, that was a great sermon, Pastor. Oh, I love that illustration. And Whoa, I just, I just, and, and, and then the cream is when they say, you could have talked forever. Me, me, me. It's about me. But man, doesn't the me monster in you just crop up in all of life? It just, it just, you bring your kids to church. You want people to say, your kids are so well behaved. I remember our kids taking them to restaurants and, and there was harmonic convergence of some sort and they were well behaved. There was no food on the floor and, and, and people would come up and say, your children are so well behaved. I was just like, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, me, me, me. Tim Keller has a book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. We're so much happier when we forget about ourselves. And when we understand that the whole universe is centered on the glory of God. And the glory of God is, is most supremely found and understood in the cross of Christ. That's the center. That's the black hole of glory. Everything is sucked into the cross. It's the wisdom of God. It's the foolishness of man. And we, be, we, we become afraid that if we tell people the truth about Jesus, that they're not going to like us or they're going to think we're hicks. I've had people tell me, Bob, you, you remind me of somebody back in the South 50 years ago. Why, how can you? Come on. Come on. Just tell people that Jesus, you know, and they just, we tell them all the other stuff later. You know what Jesus says in Luke? He says, count the cost. He says, tell the truth. This is what it means. You lose your life. You die when you come to Christ. And you follow him. You take up your cross and you follow him. Let's keep reading. That verse 43 is, is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. You know, I'm reading, I, I just, I just want to hope. Come on, somebody, somebody. And it's just like, ah. Oh. Well, we got Mary in the first part of 12. And Jesus cried out. This is his final ministry, public ministry moment. This is what he says. From 13 on, he's with his disciples, and then he gets arrested, and it goes downhill from there. So this is the last time he speaks in public, and he cries out. He's not whispering. He's not teaching. He's, he's crying out, whoever believes in me believes not in me but in him who sent me. I've got, I've got an authority that sent me. And when you believe in me, you're believing in him. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He keeps draw, taking the attention back to the glory of God and his Father. And he uses all kinds of metaphors. He says, who, belief. 
In verse 45, whoever sees me, 46, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Amen. He's done. So five things. Jesus' death manifest, shows, reveals at the highest level, at the deepest of foundational truth, the glory of God. It's beautiful and it matters, is significant. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is the central event of all time. It's not what's happening in Ukraine or China. All that is part of God's program, and he's orchestrating it to bring glory to himself. And unless, unless you know that, you'll be in despair. You're just reading all this stuff. I mean, it's just bad news. But the good news is Christ has died to reconcile the world for, his, for the glory of Father, for his own glory. And read the end of the book. He makes all things new. It's the highest value. It's the organizing principle of the universe. Secondly, unbelief is common. Nicodemus doesn't believe. These, these guys don't believe. Unbelief is everywhere. And it's not an IQ problem. It's not that they're not smart enough. And it's not our job to make Jesus more palatable. You know, we're going to, he's got some sharp edges. We're going to, I'll sand those off. It's like those coffee tables for your grandkids. You see those edges. You're going to move. You know, you don't want to. You don't want. I mean, we don't necessarily lead with the hard things about Jesus. But we, but we certainly have to tell the truth. And you either get the whole Jesus or you get none, none of Jesus. I mean, you can't, you can't say, well, I like this part and I don't like this part. And, you know, the denominations in America that have softened the edges are in major decline. The only ones that are, have any energy and have any growth to them are the ones who unashamedly believe in everything Jesus said and what the truth is. This is, it's, it's, it's not an IQ problem. It's they haven't seen the glory. They haven't seen the glory. Once you see the glory, life changes. Thirdly, we learn that God hardens and we choose. So if you haven't chosen, it's time to choose. I went to the hospital years ago and I saw a man. He was dying. I didn't know who he was. I had a friend tell me, you need to go see him. And he had a couple of days left. And I came to him. I told him who I was. And I said, I want to tell you how you can have your sins forgiven. I want to tell you how glorious Christ is. And he turned over and turned his back to me. I think he'd heard it so many times, or for some reason his heart, he had hardened his own heart so much that he would not even listen. I told him the gospel, and I prayed that God would heal him, and I left. When people do not believe, this is number four, 
they love the glory of men rather than the glory that comes from God. They're holding on to me, 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 and the glory of God means nothing to them. And they're more interested in surfing the internet or watching funny videos on TikTok or whatever. And it makes them feel good at the moment. But you know what's happening in America. I mean, we've got more depressed people and more people on antidepressants than Liberia. And there's four or five million people in Liberia, and it's one of the poorest countries in the world, and nobody's on antidepressants. Well, they, they don't have any doctors to get them. I'm just glad they don't know about them. Unbelief is unbelief and a lack of love for the glory of God as revealed most perfectly in the cross. And so number five, we all have to ask ourselves a question. What are you living for? And are you living for something that's worth dying for? Is football worth dying for? Are internet games worth dying for? Are inter have inter from what I hear, young men in our country have been, are, are being dominated by internet games. And there's this new thing coming out I read about, I don't really understand it, but it's supposed to take the, the gaming world by storm. It's gonna get worse and worse and worse. It's the enemy. He doesn't want us reading our Bibles. He, doesn't, he wants us thinking about myself, me, me, me. How do I make myself happy? What's best for me? How can, how can people glorify me? In Mark chapter 8, Jesus says, remember Peter acknowledges you are the Christ. You're the coming one. You're the, you're the one that the King David guy, you're here. And Jesus says, well, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die. I'm paraphrasing. And, and Peter says, no way, Lord, never, never. And then Jesus says, Satan, get by. He didn't say Peter. He says, Satan, get, go, get behind me. That's satanic to think that I don't, that I, that I must not die for the glory of my Father. Sometimes, um, I'm glad we don't sing the song here, but there's a song, above all, all things, da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, above all, you guys know this song? Yeah. Well, it ends with this little phrase. I, I had a, a great discussion with a, a famous musician in Liberia who loves the song. And it ends with, above all else, he thought of me. That's not true. That's penta-ultimate. That's not ultimate. Ultimately, what does Jesus say? I've come to glorify my Father. That is ultimate. The glory of God is ultimate. We are not ultimate. And whenever we try to make ourselves ultimate, we're fighting against God. So the question is, if you're living for a nice hairdo, a great truck, a wonderful car, a job that makes tons of money, if you're living for the applause of men on social media, it's going to end in disaster because God has designed us to live for him and his glory. But there's something that he mentions in chapter 12. It's the end of verse 26. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The Father will honor him. What, what is he talking about? Well, in, in, in the book of Romans, he talks about creation waiting for the 
Romans chapter 8, and the verse is um, 21. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Creation has fallen. When Adam fell, creation fell. We got thorns and thistles and problems. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Is there glory awaiting us? And the answer is absolutely yes. And I think probably the most helpful verse for me, and I'm just going to read this. You might write, write down the reference. It's Matthew 13. And I'll begin reading with verse 40. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of the kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous, then the righteous, those who have seen the glory of God in Christ Jesus in his cross and have been transformed by this glory, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. That's our future. He's going to honor us. He's going to glorify us. We're going to share as heirs of Christ's inheritance. The universe will be our inheritance. It's, it's, it almost sounds wrong to say those things, but it, it is absolutely true. So my question to you um, this morning is, what are you living for? Have you seen the glory? Have you seen the glory? Are you captivated by his glory and his awesomeness? Are you, are you constantly shocked as you read the Bible and go, wow, what a savior. Let me just tell you, you got to do it. You got to, every day, you just sit down and you read until you're shocked, until you're just like blown over with the glory of God in Christ. And if you haven't seen his glory, pray, God, show me. I don't see it. I talk to people and I hear it and I think, wow, how can they talk that way about who Jesus is. Pray to God that he would show you. It only comes by his spirit. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for what Christ has done for us. We thank you for the glory of God. We thank you that you have shown us what this universe is about, what this world is about, and we give you thanks. And we ask that you, that you keep us from mediocrity yet you keep us from not being amazed. Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit, amaze us with your glory. In the name of Christ, I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.